Hello and welcome to The Mock Review with Ben and Drew. I'm Ben Garman. And I'm Drew Evans. Well, Drew, I remember over the last couple weeks of Regionals episodes, we both said several different times, I can't wait for Orcs results. I'm really excited to have Orcs results. We've got some Orcs results. We're here. Uh, We are here. Uh, We've made it through week one. We are recording this Sunday night after Mm -hmm. week one of Orcs. We have got so much interesting news to break down. So I'm really looking forward to doing that with you, Drew. Uh, But I'll ask you this first. I know, you know, we've sort of, uh, at this point, made it a routine that we kind of catch up with each other at the beginning of the show. You've got two high school teams who've been in action. So how are things going with them? All right. I will. I know that most people listening are ready for the Orcs results, so I'll make this brief. But I could not, could not be prouder of the two teams that I coach. Um, I coach a team in Massachusetts, the Groton School, and I teach in, uh, and I coach a team in Atlanta, the Galloway School. Um, both teams are currently at their state tournaments. Um, the Groton school just had their first round of the tournament and that's done random pairings. And we just randomly happened to be paired with the Windsor school, which was the defending state champs for two years in a row. Um, or actually I think two of the last three years, but anyway, they're very, very good. We had a very close round with them. Uh, it was remarkable, remarkable round. We ended up pulling out the win by just one point in a tiebreaker point. So it was really high intensity, but a lot of fun. And I'm super proud of them to be moving on. Uh, they have their next round on Monday, so I'm excited for them to see just how far we can go in that state tournament. And then moving to Atlanta, um, their state tournament just started, and we had our first round today, actually. And I just very recently found out that they won that round, um, and we'll be moving on to the round of 16, the Sweet 16. Um, and we are, we're excited to see how far they can go as well. So it's a lot of good news on that front. I could not be prouder. They're working their tails off. And I, I will just quickly say... Um, both teams are, are very young, um, and it's cool to see such so many young kids getting excited about it, um, particularly the Groton team, the team that just beat the defending state champs. Every single one of those kids had never done a competitive round of mock trial, as an attorney at least, uh, before this year, and they just came and beat the state champs. So that's that's cool. I, I'm, yep. I'm, I'm, I'm vibing with that. Um, <laughs> I, I was like I said, over the moon. Um, but I don't want to spend too much time on it. I will turn Ben. I know obviously Maryland's doing their thing and you're very involved with Maryland high school. So quickly, uh, Ben, I'll throw it to you. How, how is a uh, Maryland high school mock going? Yeah. I only wanted to mention this cause I think it could be tangentially interesting to AMTA folks. So, uh, this past Thursday, Maryland crowned our state champion. Uh, we had a great round between, uh, the park school and river Hill high school that was won by the park school. Um, the Park School is a school that has produced several uh, well-known AMTA alums, including, I believe, Bennett Dembski, as well as now NFL like assistant offensive coordinator or something, and formerly uh, national champion at Yale, Daniel Stern. Um, I got to actually preside over the state final on Thursday because I wrote this year's case, and it was so much fun. Uh, I will tell you, there is nothing more terrifying than presiding over a round where two teams have clearly spent, you know, the better part of hundreds of hours trying to find all of the mistakes you made uh, in your case, but it was just a top-notch round. I'm obviously not going to get into the identity of any high schoolers, but there's a member of Park's team who is a sibling of a current AMTA competitor who was remarkable. Candidly, everyone on Park's team was remarkable. They would be like probably an Orcs-level team. It's kind of terrifying, Um, but that was a lot of fun. Uh, to get to watch. And I was just super proud. You know, I mean, it's been 18 years since I started doing high school mock trial in Maryland. 
and to get to preside over the state final with a case that I wrote um, and to get to announce the winner uh, of, you know, Maryland State High School mock trial was surreal. Candidly, it was it was pretty incredible. That's awesome. So that was a lot of fun. Um, And I've got a couple of thoughts related to some AMTA stuff before we get into the ORC results. Uh, But Drew, it is hard to believe this season is coming to a rapid finish. And there's a lot of exciting things to talk about. I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, I, I know there's a lot for us to talk about. I just, I feel like this weekend has been such a a fun, like just exciting. Every single round, I kind of get a couple inklings of information from a few people scattered around the country, but it's just been a lot of fun. And I think that I will say, I, I do think that this pairing process makes it so interesting um, because there's this there's this gaming of like, Oh, I've already gotten through my my A and B rounds. If you're, you know, a C or D team, it's like, okay, well, you know, second day is gonna be easier, um, and then maybe you face a tough team anyway. And it's just, I, I don't know. I think that this has been so much fun, and I, I think for those of you that have been competing, I'm sure it was awful. But as someone getting to listen and watch the results come in, it's been so much fun. So I'm just excited to talk about it. But Ben, I know you had some thoughts on some of the recent uh, decisions the Amta's made, um, and I'll, I'll throw it back to you if you want to chat about those. Yeah, just real quick. So I wanted to sort of just talk about one or two things. So first of all, I wanted to talk about the Orc Selection Show. So that was something that AMTA did for the first time this year, presumably because it just hasn't really been a thing in past years because Orcs, you know which Orcs you're feeding to because it's usually geographical. I thought the concept of the show was really cool. Uh, I thought the execution of the show was pretty solid. Uh, Jonathan Woodward, friend of the pod, uh, is always an excellent MC. And continued to be an excellent MC. You know, I remember we chatted with him about that. I thought he did a great job. Uh, I did think that the selection show pretty clearly favored, you know, A group teams and and to a lesser extent B group teams. The the C and group the C and D group teams were kind of afterthoughts. Um, that felt unnecessary to me if they were going to take the time to go through all of that. Uh, it felt like they could have just treated all the orcs teams equally yeah it would have been a little longer but i don't think anyone would have minded waiting an extra few minutes to hear their name called uh but i've got two things that i want to talk about specifically and i'll be very brief um the first one is tpr so jonathan woodward spoke at the beginning of that uh show about the status of tpr and in his explanation he basically said Yeah, so what we're using this year is we're using the 2019-2020 team power rankings. That's due to the abbreviated nature of our uh, orcs and uh, orc season last year and the fact that we did not have a national championship tournament last year. Uh, So we're really using that as our primary metric and very similar to what we did with what the regional team assignments uh, is we basically just uh, spread those out in sort of a snaked seeding fashion. Uh, and then we look through, we want to make sure we have good geographical diversity. There was really only one or two tweaks we had to make in that regard. And we want to make sure that we don't have multiple uh, teams from the same school at the same site. That helps make sure that we have pure pairings at every tournament location um, and avoids that possibility of those impermissible matchups. So we make sure that we avoid those by making a few trades when necessary. Uh, but otherwise, we go through using that metric and assign teams out to the different groups. I I find that, and this is not directed at Jonathan by any stretch of the imagination. It, it's sort of just an overarching thought. I find that decision by Amta very bizarre. Um, it, it, you know, we we put in this new orc system, and and 
like it's it's a great system. I think it's fantastic. I think the results we're going to discuss today show that it's working, that it's effective, that it's doing what it's supposed to do. But similar to any sort of analytics, it is only as good as the data set that you put in. And I think everyone can agree at this point that the current TPR we are using is not accurate. You know, some things are accurate because some teams are really, you know, like, yeah, Miami turns out still good. Their TPR is probably fair. Right. But we're going to talk about some A group teams who shouldn't be A group teams and some D group teams who shouldn't be D group teams. I get that it's complicated to make adjustments to TPR and it would probably take rules changes and stuff like that. It, it, it seems to me like the, the worst possible outcome was just not to try any of that. And it seems like that's where we ended up, that we're just like, we're just going to use two years ago's TPR. I don't get it. I don't get why we couldn't have put together a committee or used the analytics committee or done something. I don't know, had Adam Detsky pull numbers out of his head or something like that um, to provide some sort of recent data input, even if it's just using this year's regional scores or something. There's people on uh, impeachments who are ranking teams by you know, their records this year, factoring in their CS and stuff like that. So I don't want to turn this into a rant, Drew. I don't know if you have any thoughts on this, but I I just felt like that was an odd decision. I don't mean it in a nefarious way. I don't mean to suggest that any of the people making the decision are bad people. It just was really strange to me that there doesn't really seem to have been an effort to update TPR, even in an unconventional way, given that this is an unconventional season. Yeah, I think that you're totally right about the fact that like this system works as well as the data is that we put into it. And if TPR isn't accurate, the system breaks down. That being said, I, I will say one of the struggles I have with this is the arbitrariness of if we made some change. Because you know, we all know, the second that they arbitrarily decide, okay, well, we're going to count um, this regional data or we're going to count these invitational results this way. Like people are going to start complaining and say, "Oh, that's not equal. This team didn't have this opportunity." Whatever. Um, and I hear that. I do. And I don't know what the like solution to it would have been. I think you're right, Ben, that it would have been nice to do something. Um, but I feel like, at least in my mind, the reason why nothing was done was because it's like, okay. Sure, people can be upset that it's not accurate, but at least we're not going to be accused of favoring someone over another by taking data that, that favors another group. Um, so I can see that logic. I will say that I think at its core, what maybe could have just happened was extrapolating even like the the TPR data we had from the year before and just like shifting everything back maybe another year and then almost doing like, I don't know, like somewhat like neutral, like kind of just average scores for everyone. I, again, I think there are things we can talk about is like, maybe you could have done this. Maybe we could have done that. And someone would have complained. Someone would have had a problem with it. I agree with you that something should have been done. And I wish there had been something. I also think that at this point it was too late. I think for them to have, if they had announced at that selection show, Hey, this is how we're doing it. I yeah. would have been irate. Because absolutely not, that is just too late. I don't think it would be appropriate to make a, declare, a, a declaration like that um, a week before. Just no way. I think if at the beginning of the year they had said, this is what we're going to do, this is our plan, I think I probably would have been behind it by now. 
Um, mm-hmm. And maybe there would have been complaints at the beginning, but by then we kind of would feel good about it. But I definitely think you're right. Something could have and should have happened. And it's, it can, it's frustrating that nothing happened. That being said, with the caveat of I get why there was the hesitation. Yeah, I think actually that's all very fair points. The the last point I'll make on this issue, I mean, look, absolutely. If they had like started the selection show by being like, you all have new rankings, yeah. like that would have been a really bad decision. And I'm sure that was never a consideration. Um, I would argue, for example, just like drop three years ago from the TPR, even like something like that, where it's like that, you know, agreed, I have agreed. like former students who are now lawyers whose scores count on the tbr still because there is no data from last year so it's 19 18 and 17 and like even just dropping that and just using 18 and 19 would give you something even maybe marginally better it's just it was strange to me that there never really seemed to be and and i'm sure there were conversations behind the scenes that i'm not privy to i I have no doubt of that fact i think all of the people making these decisions are working extremely hard to do the best they can to serve our students. No, no doubt whatsoever about that. It just, it was a bit strange to me that it was sort of framed as inevitable that we couldn't update TVR. And I don't buy that. Um, my only other thought, and then we should get into these is so Amta recently updated their rule book and they updated their rule book with the, um, the scouting, the scouting ban that was passed at uh, the board meeting last year. Uh, and those it essentially bans scouting at rounds one and two of orcs and NCT. Uh, two brief thoughts on this. Number one, I was a bit confused when I uh, heard that passed. I had it in my head, and I, it turns out I guess I was wrong that it like there was a sunset provision of one year, but I thought it didn't go into effect until we were back in person, which candidly would make a whole lot more sense to me because it's impossible to enforce in virtual tournaments. Um, but that's fine. You know, one easy way to check that would be if Amta had left up that recording, but they decided not to, and that's their prerogative. Uh, I just don't understand why it took this long to update the rulebook. It was really surprising to me that like three days before Orcs, we're hearing about this change. And I know that it was made publicly and it was announced. I'm not suggesting anyone's not being transparent. It was just strange to me that it took that long uh, to put that out there. It feels like the type of thing that maybe just should have been updated a while ago because it was like i was confused by it i was a little caught off guard by it i thought until they put put that out that scouting was going to be allowed at rounds one and two of orcs this year um and again that's not saying that amta did anything wrong there i probably just misunderstood what happened at the board meeting but i think they probably could have worked a little bit harder to make sure people were, were aware of that um i don't mean to start out this show by just like ripping Amta apart. Amta's been doing a fantastic job this year in a lot of ways. That was just something that struck me as odd. And Drew, I don't know how, if you have any thoughts on that before we launch into Orcs 1A. I'll, I'll quickly say this on the scouting thing. And I, I don't want to rehash a discussion that we already had when they discussed it at the board meeting. But um, I do think that this was, I agree with you, it was a little bit uh, startling, just uh, again, in terms of it happening so quickly. Um, I'm also curious, and this is a genuine question for you, Ben. I, I, you know, am not affiliated enough with any teams this year to know how this worked. But did they basically have a list of all the Zoom links for each of the rounds where teams could see? Oh, you know, this is the, you know, high high AA team match. Um, this is the Zoom link for that. I can go and just hop into that Zoom and watch it. Like how how were they publicized in rounds three and four? to where people could get them. I mean, I didn't see anything like 
public pub, public on AMTA that was like, here are all the Zoom links for the trials in case anyone wants to watch. Um, but how did that work? Yeah, I mean, they weren't publicizing anything because each each they're doing the breakout rooms model. So each orcs has one Zoom link and then it's breakout rooms within that Zoom link. And okay. unless you are at that orcs, you're not supposed to have access to the Zoom link. Like I didn't have access mm -hmm. to any of the Zoom links for this week's orcs. Um, the only Zoom links I've ever had access to were the ones we were hosting, I was repping, or my teams were competing at. Mm -hmm. And so the reason I say it's impossible to enforce the um, the scouting ban is just because everyone who's not a team member is just labeled spectator and everybody's got their cameras off. So there's no way of figuring right, out if right. someone's where they're not supposed to be. But AMTA is not, my understanding, is not publicizing the links for public consumption. I don't think it's like against the rules to get it from someone and watch rounds three and four, but I think they're just trying to limit the number of people on each individual call. So is it like just open breakout rooms? Like I can, I see each of the room names and I can just go to whichever one I want. Yep. It's just, you can navigate. They ask, that's why they've been pushing like update, update your zoom, zoom. update yeah, your yeah. zoom so that you can move freely. Okay. If that's the case, then yeah, I think having a rule about that, I mean, that's just, I mean, in the past you kind of sneak into the back of the room and like kind of just there and trying to be inconspicuous. I mean, your name is spectator. Like, yeah. And your camera's off. I, yeah. Like I just, I mean, I'm not advocating for them to do this. Please don't like, if that's the rule, that's the rule. But I mean, talk about an unenforceable, like if yeah. that's what we're talking about, like that's completely just, unenforceable. I mean, and I just, I think that what's frustrating is that when there's a rule that's really easily broken with no possible source of accountability for it, it makes people really uncomfortable trying to enforce it within their teams. If you're a team that regularly scouts, let's just take for a second UVA. And I have friends at UVA, so I hope this doesn't hurt any of them. UVA. <laughs> you did before that. For, right. Maybe not, right? <laughs> um, infamous for the fact that they they frequently scout rounds. Um, they have a number of coaches. They have a number of participants that are able to do that. They're also a team that notoriously gets scouted because they're UVA and everyone wants to watch them. Right. And if you're them, right, you're in this weird spot of like, okay, the rules say we don't scout. But like, I see 10 spectators in this room and I'm kind of curious, like maybe that's one of the opponents that I'm maybe I'm going to face in round three. And like, I don't love the fact that they are now getting to scout me and I don't even know if they are like, I just would see that being like really frustrating. And because it's so unenforceable and so anonymous, I see that as being a really silly rule to enforce this year. And like, just frustrate unnecessarily frustrating to teams. I know I would find that very frustrating. So I'm I'm very dubious as to why that that was done for this year. Um, I'm glad that they technically opened it up for rounds three and four, but it sounds like there's literally no difference between how rounds one and two and three and four are executed. And if it's going to be virtual, like you just I, I don't know that that to me seems a little bit silly. Yeah, and and the one thing I'll say, and then we should get to the orcs results is. You know, I'm sure the counter argument, and it's a valid counter argument, is it's no different than coaches, you know, this year coaches, like if I wanted to, I could easily coach my team during a round, as we've discussed, right. you know, like, and there's plenty of times, you know, as we've discussed on this podcast, where it would absolutely be helpful. I could make my team better in a round by coaching them. I don't, because like, I believe in following the rules of this activity. And so like, we were a team that probably was going to do some scouting. Now we're not, because I very much believe in following the rules of this activity uh so i think your concerns are legitimate and i think hopefully 
that we as a collective community take this seriously, uh, that AMTA, if they catch people breaking this rule, takes it seriously. And, you know, we'll see what people think once, you know, hopefully next year we're back in person and we're able to see how this rule works in person. Uh, but Drew, as long as you don't have any other thoughts, I think the people are waiting. Let's let's move on to the orcs. That sounds good. We've got four orcs to break down in week one. So let's move on to Orcs 1A, which took place at Mississippi Barbecue Inc., um, which I guess I didn't think about till now is a real place. I mean, you know, I don't know what Richard's is, but presumably that's also a restaurant. Maybe. I don't know. There's got to be a backstory there. That's not important. So we had six bids at this Orcs, like all of the Orcs, and our bids in order were Tufts A with 11 wins, Fordham Lincoln Center A with 10 wins, Northwestern A with nine and a half wins, Case Western A with nine and a half wins, Virginia B with nine wins, and UC Davis A with nine wins. Now look, all of the teams who got through are remarkable, and we are going to talk about them in just a moment. But I think it's obvious what the biggest story at this Orcs is, and anyone listening is probably already aware of that. And that is that Rhodes A did not get a bid. And as we'll discuss in a moment, neither did Rhodes B, which means for the first time in, I believe, 35 years, mm-hmm. Rhodes will not be at AMTA's National wow. Championship Tournament. Wow. I don't sort of take any pleasure in discussing that. We've always had a very good relationship with Rhodes, and I have literally endless respect for what they do, for how they handled what happened two years ago at the NCT, for just their consistent excellence as a program, you know, year after year after year. Um, I will say, I will give a brief shout out to, I'll say our friends, I don't know anyone who's involved with this, but our friends at uh, Mock Analysis is My Drug, who I remember reading their Orcs preview, and they had Rhodes A as a bubble team. And I remember thinking, wow, that's, that's bold. Like, I get that they're invitational season has been a little bit shaky but come on it's Rhodes a and they called it um you know this Rhodes a team i think was pretty young they've had tremendous attrition over the last two years between the the team that almost mm-hmm. won the final round two years ago and then a very very senior heavy team last year including richard madden who was at trial by combat um and they still almost got through in round if i if i'm understanding this right so round four UVA B, so Rhodes, I think, was six and three. UVA B was eight and one. They played each other in round four um, in an in a, a B round, which, first of all, oof. Yeah. Um, right. Hell of an A B round there. Um, and Rhodes went plus, not, plus 19, plus eight, minus one. Uh, Rhodes finished eight and four. UVA B went nine and three, got the bid. I believe, my understanding is because there were not any other teams above eight wins at this tournament. If that minus one turns into a tie, UVA B and Rhodes B tie for the sixth spot at eight and a half, and Rhodes B would win it on head to head. Or I'm saying Rhodes B, sorry, Rhodes A. Uh, UVA B and Rhodes A would be tied at eight and a half, and Rhodes would jump UVA and, and get that sixth spot. So literally one point. And that's just brutal. It's yeah. absolutely brutal. Um, and I don't really have a whole lot else to say about it. I'm going to say one or two things and then kick it to you, Drew. Uh, it's just, it's worth noting that like, look, you got to think like, if you said to me right now, Ben, pick your 2022 national champion, I'd go, it's probably going to be Rhodes. Um, Cause <laughs> I have to imagine they're going to have some motivation uh, next year. But uh, a couple other things to note, Tufts, Lincoln Center, Northwestern, you know, they were the three of the A group teams here just absolutely cruised through. 
Uh, Tufts did not uh, lose a ballot there. They got 11 wins because they had a round three matchup against Fordham Lincoln Center that I wish I could have been a fly on the wall for because it was a tie tie minus nine um, for uh, Lincoln Center. So Tufts won the the one ballot that wasn't a tie. So that's a remarkably close round there. Mm-hmm. Um and then I have a couple other thoughts, but I've been talking for a little while, Drew. So I'm going to kick it to you for your thoughts on Orcs 1A. Yeah, I mean, look, Rhodes was obviously a shock. This is the number one TPR team in the country not making it through. Uh, I, that's going to always be surprising, as you pointed out, the fact that Rhodes B also didn't make it through. Uh, I mean, it's just kind of that, – that's tough. And I will also say this um, – there were a number of eight and four teams. Rhodes is not alone. There are a number of eight and four teams that did not make it out that we'll talk about later. And it's got to be tough. It is a tough pill to swallow to see seven and a half teams uh, making it out. And we'll, we'll talk a little about those later, but I mean, I just, I think that's gotta be, it's gotta be frustrating on some levels, but yeah, I mean, look, Tufts, Lincoln center, Northwestern, they had tremendous showings. Um, UVA B, uh, I think definitely, you know, they're, they're a team that we always kind of expect to be uh, a very, very strong B team, probably one of the best B teams in the country, frankly. Um, they're making it out again. And this is, again, it's funny, UVA B was the B1 last year, uh, and they, they also made it out when their A team did not. Um, but it sounds like that B1 spot feels very good for UVA B. Um, they <laughs> seem to do well there. Um so we, we dodged around Case Western A, and they are a D team that made mm-hmm. it out. But I think, Ben, you kind of alluded to this before. I think anyone that has seen Case Western go this year, um, or, or just looking at their results, you can tell. They just are not a D team. I think that they do not belong there. I think they're much better than that. And I think if you draw them as your D team, that sucks. Like, they're just... They're pretty good. Like, I, I don't know. I think that that's just a, a very tough draw. Um, th- like, I, I get that that's the TPR, but I mean, they're just better than that, honestly. They they really are. And similarly, um, the A team that did not make it out was Rochester. And Rochester was A4 um, at this regional. But I got to tell you, we talked about it before. Rochester struggled to make it out of regionals. They have been struggling for the last, they've been kind of wavering for the last year or so. I, I, I similarly don't know that I think Rochester, I'm not going to say they're not a good team. They're a very good program, but I don't know that they are a four. Um, and I think that that, that kind of shows in, in how they ended up doing. And it's not that they did poorly, but they they didn't make it out, and I just I think that this goes to that point you were making, Ben, about TPR and about you know just how representative is it really? I mean, Rochester went three and nine, and I mean, it's not great. That's kind of I mean, look here's the perfect example is as I was talking about Rochester and Case Western they faced each other round one and Case Western swept and it wasn't close like yeah. Plus 13, plus 24, plus 28. I mean, that's not like those are not that. That looks like when you had those rounds where a team just trounced another in regionals and we said, wow, that's a not a close round. And this is a D group beating an A group team that way. 
I just think that is very emblematic of, of what was going on here. Um, but I, I will lastly talk about UC Davis A. They're the, the last team to make it out. Um, look, credit to them. You made it out. You beat who you faced. They had a 16 CS, um, which would be kind of medium tier if it were two ballots. But with three, you should realize that that is exceedingly, exceedingly low. Um, again, everyone faces one A team, one B team, one C team, one D team. And I would have going into this said that A6 teams, which is what UC Davis was, are in a tough spot because they have to face one of the top five teams um, from that A group. Um, but their CS was pretty low. Um, they did not have the most difficult schedule they could have, but they beat who they faced. They made it through and good on them. Um, other than that, Ben, I know you mentioned you had some other things to say, so I'll, I'll throw it back to you. Um, I think I, I covered most of what I was going to mention. Yeah, I'm going to pick up right where you left off because it's always a little awkward, right, when we're talking about teams that got bids, like UC Davis, right? And it, it's like a little awkward because we know, like, I don't know anyone on UC Davis's team, but, you know, they got a bid to Nationals, and that is something that they should absolutely celebrate and should be very proud of. And and we always, I think we always use the phrase, like, we're not taking anything away from you. and And we really mean that. Like, the first year that... My team got a bid to nationals. We like squeaked through on the skin of our teeth and like I wasn't giving it back. Or like last year when I talked about my C team getting a bid to orcs with a super, super low CS, like, you know, I didn't mail the trophy back to AMTA. And so like, I'm not suggesting that UC Davis shouldn't be proud of that result. Um, But I think as, you know, as a mock trial analysis podcast, it's worth noting that the four teams they played went three and nine, three and nine five and seven and four, six and two. Um, and their a versus a matchup was against Rochester, the team that we were just discussing, who probably isn't really an a group team anymore. Uh, and so I think I say that solely to say, okay, we're starting to look forward to nationals and thinking about, okay, you know, when you've got a team like Rhodes that doesn't get through, uh, at a tournament like this, it's just noteworthy to pick up on things like that. Uh, the only other thing I'm going to mention here, uh, I will briefly notice UT Chattanooga had a very high CS of 28 and a half. Uh, didn't get through. Um, they're a very strong team. Uh, it's been a little while since we've hit them, but sometimes we hit them down in Durham at Duke's tournament. They're very good. Um, and they, you know, they went six and six because they had a strong weekend, but going into round four um, for their A versus B, they went and hit, um, who's 1136? Oh, Lincoln Center. So you're six and three. You think, oh, we got a shot at this thing. And then they run into the juggernaut, who is Lincoln Center. Um, and two of those ballots were a one and a two. So it's like that. Both of those teams were fighting for bids. And it just shows you the, the margin, just how close things are, even for Tufts and Lincoln Center, you know, who, who got, got through comfortably. If you look at the numbers, mm -hmm. it wasn't a comfortable ride for them. Uh, so good on UT Chattanooga for fighting and making that close. Uh, I'll also point out Notre Dame, who also went six and six. Uh, they uh, looks like they had a um, five and one day two after a one and five day one, um, including losses to Hillsdale and um, Lincoln Center. Again, so Lincoln Center had a brutal schedule and got through. Uh, Notre Dame had a very strong regionals. Uh, performance and six and six at orcs is is very good especially given the teams they played uh so i thought that was noteworthy as well um my last reaction to the roads thing and then we should move to 1b uh is i really hope 
you know, Rhodes is a tough team to play. Uh, they are always good. They're pretty intense. Um, we've really enjoyed the rounds we've had with them over the years. But um, this is one of those scenarios where it's like, if you're the first person to gloat about this, you know, like, let me know when your program makes 34 consecutive NCTs, <laughs> and then you can start gloating, you know? Like, it's noteworthy, and that's why we're talking about it, but I'm not sitting here dunking on Rhodes. Rhodes is amazing. I think if you said to me, who's the best program in the history of Amta, I mean, I think it has to be Rhodes. You know, I mean, they've just, nobody has the sustained legacy of success that they have and just the excellence that they have. And I hope that those students, especially the seniors on that team, but those students understand that this is not like a, you know, something to be ashamed of or something like that. This activity is brutal. And they were one point away from getting a bid to nationals. Uh, we've all been there, you know, one point away from something looking very different uh, from how it did. And so it's noteworthy. We'll talk about it. But I hope we as a community don't, you know, sit here and, and try to say nasty things about them just because mm -hmm. they usually win. And this time they fell just a little bit short. But that's all I've got, Drew, and I am good to move to 1B whenever you are. Yeah, before we do, um, just in the interest of talking about teams that went 8-4 and four and didn't make it through, I just wanted to quickly mention Hillsdale. Ah, uh, um, yes. They, I, I think this is pretty crazy. Going into round four, they are 8-1, and one, which you got to be feeling good, right? I mean, yeah. sure, you, you have your A round. I mean, they've, they've done their D, C, and B rounds. They've got their A round coming up, but I feel like... It's about, I mean, it's literally one ballot away from perfect. And I think most people would have thought eight ballots is going to be enough to get it out, to get out, probably feeling good. They find out they've got toughs, which no one wants to face, but uh, they got swept in that final round and then just barely at, at eight and four, along with Rhodes, don't make it out. Um, and I, I just wanted to mention them along with Rhodes. Obviously, it is easy to get caught up in talking about when the number one team in the country doesn't make it through, but uh, they're another very strong program that was just right on that edge. And uh, it, it's tough to be an eight and 14 that isn't making it through. So um, with that, I think we've talked about this one long enough. I'm going to go ahead and move us to one B one um, B took place also at Midlands television studio. It seems like they're doing a lot of tournaments there, um, but probably <laughs> considering it's recent memory makes sense. Um, better than Elias's cage. Right. So in, in order, uh, we have Miami A with 11 wins and a CS of 28, followed by Florida A with 11 wins and a CS of 24. Then Stanford B with nine wins and a CS of 24 and a half. Then Harvard A with nine wins and a CS of 24. Then Wheaton A with nine wins and a CS of 22. And finally, Wesleyan B with seven and a half wins and a CS of 29 and a half. Um, I'm just going to start out by saying, again, to my point, you had two teams at eight and four, Rhodes and Hillsdale in the last one, no teams at eight wins in this bracket. And so a seven and a half team, seven and a half win team is making it through. Now, as we're going to mention in a bit, I am so glad that Wesleyan B did make it through um, because it means we're going to get to see Wesleyan at nationals. Um, but definitely... Uh, you know, interesting to see a seven and a half team make it through. Now, Miami, Miami and Florida. I mean, wow, eleven wins is is always impressive. But what you know, we we talked at the last one about how close a lot of these ballots are. Um, you should take a look at the tab summary for some of these. I mean, the fact that both of those teams had point differentials over a hundred. Um, I mean, again, it's three ballots, so it's it's easy to run that up. 
but I mean, these are some crazy numbers. If you look at Florida, especially, they're a lot of very solid wins. Their only loss was by one point, like 11 and one with a loss of one point. Uh, And that was to uh, Wesleyan uh, B. Um, But I just, I I found that to be like, dang, like that's just, that is a good showing from Florida. Um, Very, very impressive. Miami, you you kind of mentioned them earlier. They were, Miami is one of the top teams in the country. They always will be. They they were excellent. Um, Their one loss was to Stanford B, um, was by four, but they pretty much ran the table other than that. Very, very impressive showings out of both of those programs to get 11 wins. Um, beyond that, I think, you know, you got Stanford B and Wesleyan B, you got a couple B teams making it through. Uh, and then Harvard and Wheaton, um, you know, both very strong, consistent programs. I will say this was the only region, the only orc to my knowledge that did not have a single C or D group team through. Uh, this was all dominated by the A's and B's. Um, the only A teams to not make it through were, of course, Rhodes B, which we mentioned last time of the fact that Rhodes will not have anyone going forward. And they, I will say, had a ridiculously high CS of 29.5 with seven wins. Um, so they uh, they did not have an easy schedule, and they did a, they, I mean, a, a damn good job at 7-5. and five. Uh, It's a, literally as close as they could get. And then you also have Howard A, um, who is our A3 team. And look, we talked about Howard before. Um, I... I got to say, I'm not sure what's going on with Howard this year. They just seem to be not the same Howard that we are used to seeing. Um, they went 6-6 six and six with a CS of 16.5, which is a very, very low CS. Um, and 6-6 six and six is good. I mean, don't get me wrong. Winning half your ballots is pretty good. But um, just I think that, that that CS being so low kind of contextualizes um, how they did and, and just the fact that they – they kind of dropped a couple in their D and C group matches, and that was kind of it's kind of it for them. Um, so again, just a, a bit surprising because they are such a routinely strong program. But other than that, uh, I do think this was mostly scratch. I mean, Rhodes and Howard you would have expected, but other than that, it's it's all A's and B's, and and they're they're pretty strong. The ones that made it through. So Ben, I'll throw it over to you. What else do you see here? Yeah, I want to point out. Just a couple things. So first of all, we did have two honorable mention teams here. Ah, yes, seven and you, a half. Uh, so Wesleyan B got the sixth bid at seven and a half with a 29 and a half CS. And then South Carolina B was at seven and a half with a 28 CS. And George Washington B was at seven and a half with a 25 CS. Um, so that's, I mean, just an absolute nail biter, especially between Wesleyan B and South Carolina B, two excellent programs with their B teams fighting it out. One thing I want to point out as we always look through the tab summaries for just kind of interesting things. So Wheaton had nine wins and got through and Wheaton had about as unorthodox of a path as an A group team, right? So they sweep their D group round. Great. They come into their C group round in the afternoon uh, with George Washington B and get swept, right? So as an A group team, you're like, that's not great. You know, just <laughs> Really, you know, just not how you want, like losing a ballot to a C group team, not the end of the world, but getting swept, not great. And then in their A and B rounds, they just go six and oh, yeah. Um, and they get a bid, they sweep Howard, and then um, they sweep Hamilton, and they're through. So that just goes to show you, like, that's why they play the games, you know, like if you're Wheaton, again, I, I don't, I don't know what their internal thinking is, but if I'm in their position as an A group team after day one, I'm like, man, like 
you know, at least could he given me a ballot against our C-Group team, but GWB had an excellent weekend, almost got a bid themselves. Uh, and instead, Wheaton just, you know, rolled up for day two and did exactly what they were supposed to do. And that's very impressive for them. Uh, similarly, uh, I'll talk about Harvard for a second. Harvard went nine and three. Their only losses uh, were to Miami. So they went nine and oh, they, you know, I mean, they did what a group teams, if you're not going to win any ballots in your A round, you just want to run the table in your B, C and D rounds. And that will probably be enough. Like last year we talked about, we had some six and two teams that didn't get through. And I think uh, one of them was a team that basically did that, that swept their B, C, D rounds and then uh, got swept in their A round. And at six and two, maybe there's not enough volatility where it's like, that's a near lock to get you through. But I think nine ballots is going to be good enough yeah. this year at, oh, at these yeah. orcs. It seems like it's going to be. So if you're an A group team, you know, losing uh, three ballots, whether it's to the, your fellow A matchup or your C matchup, mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's not the end of your season because of, you know, how things work this year. Uh, other than that, I mean, you talked already about Rhodes not getting through, mm-hmm. Rhodes B, which obviously is noteworthy. Both of their teams had very strong orcs, but just significant to see that. And then, yeah, I, I noticed the same thing with Howard. It's definitely surprising. I mean, they're they're always excellent. Uh, and so it just seems like, for whatever reason, it wasn't their year in terms of orcs. Uh, but, you know, I'm sure they'll be back at it next year. They, they do such a great job with, with everything. Absolutely. Last thing I'll mention, you already talked about our top teams. So I'll just re- return to them briefly. Uh, Miami of Ohio and Florida, you know, 22 wins between the two of them took the top two spots. I think you have to put both of them as significant, you know, contenders at NCT. Uh, Miami obviously won it a couple of years ago. Florida is consistently one of the deepest teams in AMTA, and they've had an incredible, incredible AMTA season so far. Uh, and I'll be fascinated to see how those teams do at NCT. And just so we're clear, Miami is still the defending champs. Like, they are. I mean, you may say a few years ago, others could say defending champs. Um, so, of course, Miami is going to be in the running. Uh, last thing I want to mention before we move on, just kind of a, a wacky result. Um, I'm glad you mentioned the honorable mentions. I apologize for not saying them earlier. But University of South Carolina, um, similarly to what you were just talking about, the path that Harvard did, um, South Carolina dropped all three of their ballots to Miami. But other than that, pretty much ran the table. They had a tough round three against George Washington University, which, you know, was the other team that was tied. And they went uh, a tie with a win by one and a win by six. That's a close, close round. But then I I just am perplexed by this round four result. So round four, they're facing Minnesota Duluth. And South Carolina goes plus 24, plus one, minus 20. And what I find so remarkable about this, what I think is so funny, is that Think for a second if this was a two-ballot tournament. And, like, if you took any of those two ballots, you'd be kind of like, it would totally change your view on the round, right? If you take the minus 20 plus one, you're kind of thinking in the back of your mind, like, uh, they kind of got lucky to sneak that one in. If you have the plus 24, the plus one, you're like, okay, it was a solid win, and then one judge, you know, happened to score it close. And then, you know, God forbid you have the plus 24 minus 20. We're talking about that being like, what the heck were they watching to have one think it's a 20 point win for one team and the other thing it's a 20 point win for the other. 
Um, and of course, that was the difference in them moving on. Um, they were a honorable mention of seven and a half. And had they gotten that win, um, that would have been enough for them to move on. But I mean, that's just some crazy results. Like I don't, I, I don't know how many ballots I've seen that are minus twenty, plus twenty, plus one. I mean, that's just that's pretty wild. So that's all I'll say on that. And Ben, if we want to move on to the next one, I think let's go ahead and do it. Let's do it. Let's move to the second half of our Orcs results. We're going to move to Orcs 1C, which was held at Rockter World. And our teams in order, we had Duke B with 10 wins and a 25 CS. Maryland College Park A uh, with 9 wins and a 24 CS. Uh, UC San Diego A with 8 wins and a 30 CS. Florida B, 8 wins and a 26 CS. UVA A, 8 wins and a 25 CS. And Penn B with eight wins, a CS of 24, and an OCS of 112, which comes into play because we had two honorable mentions here. The first one being Washington and Lee with eight wins, a 24 CS, and a 95 OCS. And then our other honorable mention was Cincinnati with eight wins and a 23 CS. Uh, this was probably the craziest results we've got of the four. Oh, yeah. We had all four groups represented. Uh, our first two results were a B group team and a C group team. So I'll note first, we had quite a few A group teams that did not get through here. Columbia A, Ohio State B, NYU A, and Cincinnati all did not get through. Um, and then I think there's just a couple of interesting things here that go back to what I was saying about uh, TPR at the beginning of this. The first one I'll point out is College Park. University of Maryland goes nine wins. Certainly not surprised. They've been having a great season. They're a really good team. They're not a C group team. And I think mm -hmm. like they're just not. And, and like, it's just strange to me that we didn't make any effort to make these more accurately reflect uh, how things uh, look, but props on them. I mean, it's been a couple of years since, since they've been at NCT, but they're still to this day, you know, the winningest program in the history of college mock trial with five national championships and, you know, I think this community is better served when our winningest program is back at NCT. So I'm very happy to see that for them. Uh, I, you know, I mean, I can't help but notice Columbia and NYU not getting through. And just a couple years ago, you know, when they were those high powered squads were facing off in, you know, round five at the downtown, that would have been unimaginable for neither of them to get through. So that certainly was surprising. Um Beyond that, I mean, there's a lot to break down here. Uh, so I'm I'm only going to talk for another second because I I just there's just a lot to talk about here. Uh, props to the folks at Penn. They're a D group team that got their their B team through. That's really fantastic. Mm -hmm. Just absolutely squeaking by Washington and Lee on OCS. We were just talking about how great Florida A was. Florida B gets through, so Florida will have two teams at nationals. Uh, Duke, a very deep team to get their B team through, and for their B team to get the first bid out of this mm -hmm. um and we really did have a wide geographic variety here that you've got a whole bunch of east coast teams some of them are northeast some of them are southeast and uc san diego tossed in there in the mix as well um and then i think my last thought and then drew i'll kick it to you is obviously you know i feel for the folks at washington and lee that's got to be absolutely brutal yeah. to yeah. miss out on ocs i mean that's just at that point it's just random right it's just a coin flip because like any number of teams tying a ballot that they won by one or lost by one could have flipped that cs number 
and made things differently. So what did you see here? Yeah, I, I think that you're right. Uh, I will say this. Um, I, I think it's important to keep in mind with these new orcs, there is an order to these bits. I mean, this is not, we, we should not consider this the same way with regionals where you power protect that round four and whether you're the first bit or the last bit is a little less important. Um, there's a reason why we count TPR for these bids. Um, the fact that Duke B was the first bid out at 10 wins, they had to face an A, B, C, and D group team, and they just beat them all. Like, that is that is a huge, awesome, powerful showing for them. Good on them. Um, and I just wanted to remind people that, you know, you really – that matters, that, that that seeding makes a difference. And the fact that we had a B group and a C group team that is the first two out is, is interesting. Um, now, you mentioned NYU, and I, I'm glad you did. I want to, of course, talk about them for a second. NYU went seven and five, and their five losses all came the second day against their A and B group opponents. Now, their round three against UC San Diego, they went minus two, minus two, minus one. That is tough. Those are, I mean, that is just so close. Um, And then their round four, they've got... University of Florida, B, and they go plus 23, minus 6, minus 1. So uh, I just think that that contextualizes what that 7-5 and five record was. Um, that's brutal. That is really tough to have four ballots of your five loss. Four of them are by less than two, like two or one. Yeah. Four ballots, like that's just, I mean, that's so, so tough. And to have that last round, one ballot be 23, and those be a one and a six, you're like, can I just take a couple of those points and move them over? Um, I mean, that's <laughs> that's tough. And NYU is obviously such a fantastic team. Um, it, it is a pity not to see them moving on. Now, it got kind of lost, but UVAA redeemed themselves. They didn't make it uh, through this new orcs last year, and they managed to do it this year. And UVAA uh, did not look as graceful as we may have expected them to. Um, Obviously, they're one of the top teams in the country, and they had a strong first day against those B and C group teams, but their A and D rounds were not quite as clean. Um, I will say that their round three opponent was against Cincinnati, and they went uh, plus nine, plus five, minus one. So a close round for sure. Um, but then their round four, uh, and this is, you know, to that Washington and Lee team that we were just talking about, how a brutal close tie for them, um, minus two, minus three, plus nine for UVA. So they dropped two to uh, Washington and Lee, and that's just barely not enough for Washington and Lee to make it out. Um, I just did find that interesting just how close that was. And, and definitely, again, just, you know, UVA is UVA. You kind of expect them to just be you know, at the top. Um, I will say just the fact that we had six teams with eight wins and in the last mm. bracket, we in 1B, we had no teams with eight wins, just kind of yeah. crazy, um, that difference. And then um, I wanted to quickly talk about UCSD. Now, they had a CS of 30, which I think I hadn't seen a CS higher than that, and I don't think we will see a CS higher than that. And the fact they had such a high CS and still managed to make it out is really impressive. Um, they had... 
about as hard a schedule as you could ask, considering there's this ABCD group uh, system. Um, their first round, they get um, oh, they got UPenn, um, and that's that UPenn B team that did manage to make it through. And, and UPenn B kind of snuck a ballot in there. They went uh, plus ten, plus nine, minus one. Um, so UPenn grabbed a ballot there. Um, UC San Diego then proceeds to beat their B and C and B group and A group opponent, or sorry, and yeah, and their A group opponent. Um, they faced uh, SMU and swept them, and then faced uh, NYU. And like I said, that was that close round three that they swept. Then um, their round four is against Duke B, um, which was a, a minus 14, minus two, minus three. So, I mean, they faced pretty much the toughest B group that you could face. Um, a, a very tough A group opponent in NYU. Um, SMU is a strong C team, not a bad C team. And then to face Penn D or Penn B, the D group team that made it out. Yeah. Um, that is just a, a tough schedule and they managed to make it work. So definitely good on them. And again, that just further contextualizes how impressive Duke B's win in that, that fourth round was over them. But uh, definitely some very interesting results. Um, again, we talked about the fact that Columbia, NYU, um, Cincinnati, and OSU all didn't make it. I will, I will briefly say that OSU, um, I think I wasn't really expecting them to make it out. Um, they're obviously a phenomenal program, and I think if they had, I wouldn't have necessarily been surprised. But I'm also not surprised they didn't make it out. Um, they just had so much strength that graduated last year. Um, I just I, I have a lot of faith in that program's depth. But I think it's hard to consistently have a B team that's that strong. And I think to a certain extent, their B team that had been so successful is their new A team now. And they've just kind of moved and replaced that large group of seniors that we saw graduate last year from them. So this was going to be a pretty new team. And I'm not shocked um, that they that they didn't quite make it out and they struggled a little bit. But other than that, uh, I do think this was just a absolutely crazy orcs. Um, a, a fun one to break down and look at um, just because there's so much crazy results. And then anytime you have the bid determinative uh, sixth spot going down to OCS, you know it was a good close tournament and, and just a, a lot of fun to look at. So Ben, anything else that I'm missing that you wanted to mention? I will just say one or two brief things and then we should move on to our last one. You know, we didn't really talk at the beginning of this episode about the fact that these are orcs with three ballots in each round. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we've just sort of been discussing it as we go. But I, I think this sort of the prevailing lesson from that is it turns out that orcs still sucks, even <laughs> when you have three ballots in every round. But I will, you know, I started out this episode with some stuff about Amta that I wasn't super thrilled about. I will give them so much credit that they have gone through the effort. You know, we talked about it several episodes ago yeah. that we hoped that they would do this. And it, I think it makes a huge difference and it, it just shows you how, I mean, this activity is brutal and it's subjective and it's, it's tough. And then when you get to orcs and you add the virtual aspect on top of it, I think that to me is why I'm so glad that we have three ballots that when you add the virtual aspect and it's so much harder to tell teams apart and everybody's just kind of doing the best they can with this format. Uh, and then you add the nationwide aspect and the subjective aspect. Having three ballots just makes me feel like we're getting meaningful results. Uh, and I think that's something that's really important. Uh, other than that, I think you basically covered it. Uh, you know, we briefly mentioned uh, Duke as they were the first team out. But, I mean, Duke's an 
excellent, excellent program. But to get their B team through to nationals, I think is kind of uh, like it demonstrates the strength that they're developing. And it's like, you know, Duke and OSU, uh, you know, OSU a couple years ago had a dominant B team that was probably almost as good as their A team. And and now, I mean, obviously Duke A hasn't gone yet, but, uh, you know, that's just certainly noteworthy to me. And I think I just, I'm so struck by, I keep, you know, I'm looking at our outline here and I keep looking at the list of the A teams that didn't get through. And it's an incredible list. I mean, between Columbia, Ohio State, NYU, and Cincinnati. Mm -hmm. And I know Cincinnati is sort of always a Nationals bubble team, but I mean, what, it was two years ago that the trial by combat winner came from there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so that's just an incredible list of teams that didn't get through the, through the Nationals. And that's about all I've got, Drew. So if you want to move us to 1D, I am good to go. Before we do, you mentioned the three ballots, and I wanted to quickly say something about that. I want someone, I'm not going to do it because I don't have time, but someone, I want you to go through and randomly choose two ballots from each of those and see how crazy you can make the results. Because I'm willing to bet... You could get a lot of teams to all of a sudden that got bids to not get bids, teams that were six and six or something else to all of a sudden get bids. I mean, it just shows you the volatility of the results that you get when you only take two judges. I mean, now we're seeing the spread. We're seeing what that looks like. And I just think it'd be interesting to look at how different the results could look if we're only two judges. So I'm so glad it's three. But I think that uh, enough. Let's, let's move on to our final orcs. 1D took place in Gaston Midlands. Uh, I don't know where Gaston Midlands is. Yeah, I don't get that reference. Okay, cool. I didn't want to make sure I wasn't missing something. Okay, uh, so first we have UCLA A um, coming in at 11 wins and a CS of 22. Then Boston University A with 10.5 wins and a CS of 20. Then University of Portland A with 8.5 wins and a CS of 23.5. Then University of Minnesota with eight wins and a CS of 27 and a half. Then Lafayette with eight wins and a CS of 23. And then we have GWA with seven and a half wins and a CS of 25. Um, so we have two A teams that are not making it through, and they are big ones. We've got Tech A and Wesleyan A, both not making it through. Uh, I got to say, that that stunned me. I, I mean... Tech, I, I kind of, similarly to OSU, I knew they just graduated a lot of strength, so I was not sure what to expect from them. But, I, I mean, it's Tech A. I thought they were going to do pretty well. Um, and they did fine. I mean, they went 7-5 and five with a, a pretty decent CS, but I just you know just barely kind of didn't make it through that that round three. They had a tough round with Lafayette, a uh, plus 6, plus 1, plus 7 for Lafayette, and that uh, got uh, meant that Lafayette was moving forward and Georgia Tech wasn't. Um, I'll say that just because you mentioned the whole thing with Wheaton, Lafayette had kind of a similar deal where they faced Vanderbilt in round two and got swept. And the, and that Vanderbilt was, a, of course, a, a C-group team and a, a good C-group team at that, by the way. Um, but and, and to the point that we've said many times, I don't think Vanderbilt belonged as a C-group team. I think they're probably a lot better than that. But um, Lafayette then proceeded to sweep their A opponent in Tech A and then take two ballots and lose by just one point um, against their B-group opponent, which was UT Austin. Um, so, you know, good on Lafayette for making it happen after they, they had a tough C-group draw. But going back to Tech, um, you know, Tech had a, a rough showing, um, that loss in round three, and then they had a tough loss in round two 
um, against Portland, who eventually made it through. And again, that's a, that's a C group team that eventually made it through. Um, a very strong showing out of Portland. You know, tough tough draw for Tech and a, a solid round out of Portland to to pull out that win. Now uh, Wesleyan A is the other one that didn't make it through from the A group, and we have talked so many times about how strong Wesleyan has been. Um, I gotta say, this was a shock to me. Like this was really mm-hmm. surprising. They similarly, when they faced their A group opponent, um, they drew Boston University and they got swept. It was a minus one, minus eleven, minus twenty-one. Um, and I, I would have loved to see that round. I think Boston is a strong team. I think Wesleyan is too. I, I was surprised to see them get swept in that round. And then they just had a couple of tiny ballots here and there that that cost it for them. Um, in round four, they went minus one, plus three, plus ten against Central Missouri, who was a struggling team. I mean, I, I that, that was a surprising result for me from Wesleyan that they, they that that one loss. And then in their their uh, first round against uh, MIT, who MIT just did not belong as a D group team. I'm sorry, but there's just no no ifs, ands, or buts around it. We, we've talked about them. Um, they are just too good to be a D group team. They got brutalized to not get out of uh, to not get to Orcs last year. Um, they are a good team. They ended up going seven and five with a CS of twenty nine, and they were a D group team. Uh, that's just tough. And and again, Wesleyan drew them in the first round in that one minus three plus five plus six for Wesleyan. It was a close round. MIT did not belong in D. Um, Vanderbilt probably did not belong in C. This one more so than some of the others. I really just think this Orcs was one of the hardest because they had so many C and D group teams that I think are just a lot stronger than that designation. UC Santa Cruz is a strong team. I don't know that they belong as a D group team. Um, it was tough. I will say that Haverford was here, and I will quickly mention them. Uh, they had a very solid first day against uh, the A group and B group teams. They drew UCLA, which you know, unsurprisingly didn't go so well for them. Um, <laughs> UCLA did a pretty solid job here, going eleven and one, and uh, they didn't they didn't show like they, they didn't seem like they had much trouble at all. Um, which not surprising. If I had my money on anyone right now, it it might be them. Um, again, there another team with their one loss was by one in round four. Uh, and it was to GW, uh, a, a plus 10, plus 3, minus 1 in that round for UCLA. But um, yeah, ha- Habbard had a solid solid showing in their first day, second day. Not quite as good, which is kind of funny because that's the B and C group teams, but you know, can't win them all. Um, other than that, I, I think that's most of what I'm seeing here. Ben, I'll throw it over to you uh, for anything else that I missed. Yeah, you pretty much covered it. Uh, you know, I won't sort of rehash what you said about tech and wesleyan we scrimmaged wesleyan uh, a week or two ago they're excellent um and and i'm glad to see like you mentioned earlier that their b team got through i think with the caliber of program they are that that they belong at nationals um sort of talking about the um sort of the duality of of these tournaments and how challenging they can be right so uh you mentioned mit and mit you know shockingly had a high cs it just seems yeah. like high cs is find mit wherever they're looking but we actually came extremely close, one point away at this tournament from having a seven-win team get through. Uh, because So there's no honorable mentions listed on this tab summary, which means that you know nobody tied for that last rank, GW at seven and a half. GW got to seven and a half 
by doing something very impressive, they took a ballot off of UCLA, which mm-hmm. is something no one else at the tournament managed to do. And that was that plus one ballot you were just discussing. And that doesn't seem, it's, it doesn't seem like a fluke ballot. There was a minus three and a minus 10. So that was clearly a close round between two excellent teams. If that plus one becomes a tie, then GW is seven and five. And so is Georgia Tech, and so is MIT, mm. uh, and so is UT Austin, and I believe, and so is Wesleyan, mm-hmm. and I believe MIT would win that CS tiebreak yeah. at 29. They had the highest, yep. So we were very, very close to having a seven-win team get out of this works, which would have been fairly remarkable, given the one that we talked about where there were several eight-win teams that didn't get through. Uh, so that's kind of always noteworthy. Uh, rolling through the teams here, I agree with you about UCLA. Um, I think at one point we had mentioned that maybe some of their invitational results were not quite as dominant as they sometimes are. Clearly, they've come to play. (laughs) Uh, Boston University is a super interesting team. I've always had sort of an affection for them. My law school trial team partner uh, went to BU, did BU undergrad. uh, And I mean, they're just a really interesting program, you know, kind of coming from the Northeast. They're always very strong. They've had TBC competitors and to go 10 and a half, you know, excellent, excellent performance there. Uh, we had discussed Portland, I think, a week or two ago. I remember talking about uh, Pacific Northwest teams and good on Portland to get through. Um, Minnesota is another team, uh, as I'm just kind of rolling through the t- the teams here, uh, that I think, you know, we had talked about how Pre Goodchild was kind of their the person that everybody knew. They get through with eight wins and a pretty high CS. Uh, and then you already mentioned Lafayette, but I think Lafayette, you know, I kind of associate Lafayette and Rochester in my head because we played them round three and four at Orcs in 2018. And they're both teams that had runs where they were going to NCT and then maybe haven't been quite as strong over the last year or two. And they've gone in completely opposite directions, right? Rochester, we talked about earlier, Lafayette goes and shows, Hey, we still belong as an A group team. Mm-hmm. We sort of easily got through. I mean, easily, I mean, they had to uh, get eight wins but like they clearly belong at nationals with their performance and good on them i mean they're a very very good program mm-hmm. and uh you know certainly things could have gone differently sort of the way that we discussed with rochester and lafayette says no 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 we you know even if tpr hasn't been updated we belong you know in the conversation for nct uh so that's impressive to see from them uh, and I think other than that, you kind of covered it here. Uh, MIT, we've already discussed. That's an impressive performance from them. I got to think they're going to break through in the next couple of years. You feel like that, you know, there's an NCT bid, uh, you know, maybe waiting there. Maybe if everybody buys a couple more copies of Winning Objections, um, <laughs> <laughs> that's a joke. That's a joke. Although you should buy it. It's a great book. Um, I think that's basically everything here that, that I think here's my last note. And this is an overall thought before we wrap up. I was struck in this first week, I was I was running these numbers as you were talking, with the difference between the B group and the C and D groups. So if I've calculated this correctly, I believe there were five teams this weekend that got out from the B group. I'm um, just kind of going through and double checking. But it's either five or six. And I think there were four teams that got through from the C or the D group. Uh, I don't think we're seeing, like, there's clearly a huge difference from A to B. Um, that we see a significant, almost every tournament, the majority of teams that get through are A group teams. There doesn't seem to be as big of a difference between B and C and B, yeah. C and D. Agreed. Um, and I think that's sort of to be expected. Um, 
that the teams at the very top, even setting aside some of my critiques of TPR, those probably don't apply as much at the very high levels of like maybe some teams would be A4 instead of A2, but most of the A group teams would be where they are, irrespective of what we do with TPR. And so that's really interesting to me that with the new orcs pairing system, we're seeing the evidence that we've kind of already seen, which is the top teams are winning. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I know that's like a shocking development for me to talk about, but I do think it's noteworthy that being in the B group doesn't really seem to represent a huge upgrade. You know, if you're thinking, okay, this is our B group opponent, the difference between a B group opponent and a C group opponent doesn't seem to be, you know, a huge jump. So Mm -hmm. I think that's my last thoughts on that. Yeah. Just to really quickly address it. I, I totally agree with that. I mean, we've talked about it a little bit, but I strongly believe that you can go and find there are some D group teams and certainly some C group teams that are much tougher opponents than a cup than B group opponents within an orc. Um, within an orcs, I, I think that pretty much uh, if anyone disagrees, like um, again, I would point your attention to MIT. Um, I would point your attention to Vanderbilt, um, Maryland A. Um, Portland. I mean, they're just, there are a number of these teams that are in the C and D, Case Western, sorry, too. I mean, there just are a lot of these C and D group teams that I think are a lot better than their TPR shows. And the reality is that one year of data makes a huge difference between B, C, and D. At the top, it, you're totally right, Ben. It just doesn't change that much year to year because you're you're moving up and down, you know, maybe 10 or so slots in the TPR. But when you get down into the hundreds, like we're talking about, you know, two more wins at Orcs is going to be the difference in you being a D group and probably a B group team in some cases. Like that's a pretty substantial difference. And to... to be ignoring that data from last year and to be using data from four years ago to a certain extent um, does just leave kind of a weird taste in your mouth. And you're kind of like, well, I don't know how reflective that actually is of these teams. Um, And it just is definitely an interesting thing to note. Um, I I, I mean, I'm not going to say that I think all C and D group teams are better than B, obviously not. I mean, you're right that there were more B teams that made it through, but I, I just think that there's not the hard and fast lines drawn in the sand um, the way that I think I would for A versus onward. And I would actually briefly, I would go so far as saying, I think like the A group teams that are like top 40 or so, I think are almost like separate from A group teams that are below that. Um you know, I mean, then you're getting into teams that, like, could be in the B group. Like, you know, B1 versus A6 to me is kind of this interesting spot of, like, you know, you look at 2A, which we haven't gotten to yet, we'll talk about it next week, but you got Furman and Baylor, 52 and 53. You know, really, you think one TPR is the difference between A group team and a B group team? Like, I yeah. don't know. I'm just, that's obviously an easy example to point to, but it's just interesting. Um, and I think that, like, there's a big gap between Furman and Yale or UC Berkeley to look at that group specifically. But anyway, point being, I do think that there is nuances to this argument and there's a just interesting discussion to be had about TPR this year. I agree. And you brought up week two. So I think that's a good way to move towards wrapping us up. Obviously, 
um, you know, this coming week, my team competes at Orcs next weekend. So we'll be uh, working hard and, and prepping for that. And by this point next week, so we're recording late Sunday night, we will know our 48 teams who are moving on to the NCT. Uh, and my last thought of the podcast before we wrap this up is I will say it is it is heartening to me, even as as sometimes frustrating and and sort of sometimes virtual mock trial can feel like a little bit of a cheap substitute at times. The fact that, you know, in about a month, we're going to be crowning a national champion. Mm -hmm. uh, It just, it kind of brings a sense of normalcy Mm -hmm. that, you know, obviously we're all sort of looking forward to the day when this activity can go back to the way it usually is. But, you know, there's something that just feels comforting about having orcs results and starting to you know, fill the field for NCT. Everyone's been, I don't want to get into the one year ago stuff because candidly, it's just, it's depressing and I don't even really (laughs) like to think about it. But like next week's orcs are going to happen. We're going to finish our orc season this year. We're going to, you know, have our NCT. And that's just, it's good to think about, you know, irrespective of what happens next week. If we get a bid, if we don't get a bid, I'm going to be really excited to break down those results, talk about our NCT field and look forward to a really fantastic end to the season. Couldn't agree more. Well, thanks everybody for listening. It's as always a pleasure to be with you. We hope you enjoyed our week one analysis. We'll be back in your feeds next week with an analysis of week two and starting to talk about the NCT. Until then, this has been the Mock Review with Ben and Drew.